Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to our alternate universe review, if you want to call it that. We were originally supposed to be reviewing A Quiet Place Part 2, but the film got pushed back to September and then it got moved up to May. So we will be bringing you that review sooner than September it'll be pretty soon we'll definitely fit it into the schedule we didn't want to wait too long to get it to you but nevertheless bird box was our backup movie in case this did get pushed back due to COVID-19 it did so here we are and it's kind of interesting because bird box and a quiet place came out the exact same year and they share a lot of similarities One you had to go pay money at the theater to see, the other one, well, you got to watch in the comfort of your home on Netflix. Alan, I got to ask, did you see Bird Box when it came out? So I didn't. Um, I knew that it came out and I knew that it was a movie that was very similar to A Quiet Place and there's a lot of hype around it and I decided that I was going to wait. Um, and see if that hype was anything um, anything worth noting. And from what I understand, it kind of wasn't. So I knew it existed, but I never sat down to watch it. I think I maybe have seen like a scene or two from this, um, but I don't even remember what part of the movie they were in. So my exposure to Bird Box was very minimal. Um, So, yeah, I didn't see much of it. And what I did see, I don't even remember. So that's about as much as uh, the exposure to Bird Box before this that I had. Yeah, listeners, if you want to hear about the hype behind this film, I know Netflix did release some numbers and also the scores for the movie. There's no box office because it wasn't widely theatrically released at all. This is a Netflix movie. So it's the home box office, if you want to call it that. That's in your guide to Bird Box, which came out last Thursday. The That's the very first link in the description below. Go ahead and check that out. And while you're down there, we also have the next four weeks of the schedule. If you're curious what's coming up next, we also curate a list of episodes that we think you would like to listen to after this one. So we curate that list for you. We tailor that specifically to every episode we are also on every major podcast platform so we have links to those links to our social media pages and of course if you're ready to just jump straight into the review timestamps are there as well and if you're looking for some bonus content and a great way to support us financially head on over to our patreon page that link is down there as well no matter where you're listening five stars definitely helps us and what even helps us more is a short written review that helps us even get boosted further higher up in the rankings. So no matter where you're at, especially on Apple podcasts, and since that's the kind of leader, that's the metric at least that Rotten Tomatoes does judge things by. One of our goals is to be verified critics on there, but we need a certain number of five-star ratings and we have to keep up those five-star ratings. So just take a moment, 
scroll on down. It's very easy. Click the five stars. That really does help us out. So Corbin, when this came out, were you able to see this when it came out? Yeah, I did not see it quite when it came out. Um, I first watched it with my girlfriend on Tuesday, June 11th, 2019. Um, okay. I, the only reason I know that is because I logged it on Letterboxd and I'll save my rating for after the review to see whether it's gone up or down, but it was a positive rating. I'll just say that, leave you wondering where I was with it. But so I think it was, it was a number of months after it was released. I, I want to say it was almost six months actually to okay. when it was released, but I know there was a huge hype surrounding it. Um, yeah, I think I just graduated college, so I had plenty on my plate of try, trying to figure out life after graduating college. So somehow I missed this one, but I did see it the next summer. Yeah, I remember my my roommate and my cousin were watching it. I came back late one night for some reason, and they were finishing it up. So I caught like a scene or two, but I don't even remember what scenes those were. Um, so if you were to watch the trailer now, would the trailer get you into it? Um, it, it looks like it did a few months late, but, uh, <laughs> judging by the trailer alone, what do you think? You, just by the trailer, I think it looks all right. They have to give away a lot of the movie to try to get my attention, which is a bad sign. So for me, it looks like the trailer is trying too hard and clearly it wasn't one that I just, it wasn't a must see movie. I was content with waiting a few months. Yeah, for me, I think I would have the, probably the same thoughts in the trailer. Um, I don't think I ever watched it back when it released. Um, to my knowledge, I didn't, but uh, yeah, this trailer, I'm, I'm with you. It just drives a bit, a bit too hard, I feel. Um, it's one that uh, really does not strike me as anything interesting. It just kind of feels like, from what I'm seeing, almost like a generic end of the world kind of trailer. So I'm with you. Uh, this is not necessarily one from the trailers, at least, that would really catch uh, my eye. The one thing that I will say I'm surprised about that I'm paying attention to going in is that this was submitted to the MPA. It is rated R. I was surprised to see that considering A Quiet Place was PG-13. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what will garner this R rating. Mostly, it seems like it's F word usage as we get throughout the movie. Um, but nevertheless, I didn't remember it being rated R um, last time I saw it. There's also a very brief sex scene, which I watched with VidAngel the first time around. So that was cut out. That took me by surprise because I didn't oh, remember. Yeah. I didn't remember it because I literally didn't see it last time. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I just guess they're probably trying to be a little edgier than A Quiet Place, it seems like. Yeah, I wonder if that was like part of their whole, of their whole thing is that, you know, while, while, while Quiet Place was PG-13, this is like kind of like A Quiet Place, but now rated R, right? I wonder if that was like part of their like marketing if, to get this movie out to so people would watch it. Is that R rating? I, want, I wonder if that was like a part of the whole thing. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Bird Box and you don't want the film spoiled for you, it is currently streaming on Netflix. So go ahead and check that out. Come back and click play here on the podcast and we'll be ready to talk about all the spoilery details. In an undisclosed future, our pregnant main character, Mallory, gets caught up in the middle of an apocalypse. 
Some mysterious force is causing people to be suicidal by just looking at it. Mallory is able to enter a house with a number of other people where she spends the next few weeks, but it doesn't take long for the food supply to begin running low. So a handful of survivors, Mallory included, drive a blacked out car into a nearby grocery store using the proximity sensors built into the car. Here they meet a trapped employee who then kills one of the survivors, causing the group to then flee the scene. A younger couple also then later steal the car, leaving the group stranded at the home. Olympia, one of the other pregnant women also in the house, lets a man in who's named Gary. Gary claims he narrowly escaped a group of people who embraced the mysterious force and tried to get he and his friends to look at it. This doesn't take long, however, for Gary to turn on our survivors. He kills three of the five remaining, and Tom, one of the other survivors also in the house, is able to best Gary and escape with Mallory to safety, taking Olympia's newborn with them. Five years pass from this, and Tom and Mallory receive a radio transmission about a safe community down the river. They discuss whether or not they should go, but after Tom dies protecting the family to the monster followers, Mallory takes the kids and heads down the river. Now we're at the beginning. Mallory tells the kids, named boy and girl, that if they look, they will die. They spend many days on the river, even come across someone yelling at them, telling them to take the blindfolds off, and it's beautiful. The three of them hardly make it out of the rapids alive, but they eventually hit land and are tempted again by the mysterious force to look, and it nearly takes girl with it. But Mallory is able to overcome the monster and leads the kids to the safe community. She finally learns to name the two kids, Tom and Olympia, and they run off to play with the other children as credits roll. I gotta say right off the bat, Sandra Bullock's opening monologue, it is a tight shot on her face, it is slowly pulling out, and you realize she's looking up, so, and she's probably talking to children. I gotta say, I was gripped, I was pulled in, because you can tell something is very wrong, very serious, it immediately sets the tone for this movie. Um, I will say she is kind of giving me these, I'm acting right now vibes which is somewhat of a mm-hmm. which is somewhat of a criticism but we do know you look you die this is going to be a very intense trek because they have to go down a river with small children so it's going to be very hard i'm very curious but we're immediately snatched away from it this movie does this whole um jumping back and forth type of thing which is a very popular way of telling a story it's mm-hmm. also somewhat of a criticism but i got to know alan are you just as pulled in by this opening I am curious um, because they do kind of explain, they somewhat explain like the rules, right? Right. You know, you can't look if you look that you'll die. Right. And it makes it even like kind of, I guess, more interesting that we're, that she's talking to children, right? Like she's being very stern with them. So it, I'm interested. Um, I can't say I'm necessarily pulled in yet, um, but I am at least intrigued because whatever happened, which we cut to before all this the apocalypse ends up happening. Um, we know that, you know, they seem to be in a very big hurry, right? So I'm interested. Yeah, and I'm kind of worried because, like I said, the movie pulls us away from that, pulls us back into the past. But I'm immediately pulled back in because her sister comes over to turn on the news and it says there's these mass suicides on the other side of the world. And it sounds really bizarre. It, I will say mm-hmm. it is a trope to turn on the news. It's tropey. To yeah. turn on the news, and that's where you figure it out. Uh, I, I'm i going to give a lot of credit to Night of the Living Dead um, and some of those older 50s movies um, with where they kind of pull some of their ideas from here. But nevertheless, I'm pulled in by that, and then it doesn't take long for me to really be intrigued 
because it gets very thrilling. This grand Wagoneer escape when the world goes nuts so fast, it just takes you by surprise because there's that lady that starts bashing her head at the hospital against the window. Mm -hmm. And then her sister sees whatever it is and whatever it is makes you want to kill yourself, whether it's because it's so beautiful, like we said, or it's so horrifying, or maybe it's actually both. I gotta say it's a chilling scene. When her sister just steps in front of the bus, she dies. Everything just goes down so fast. Um, then the right. movie instantly picks back up for me. Yeah, this opening is interesting. And I mean, I think some of it's a bit cheesy, but it is it is interesting, <laughs> right? It does, I think it does build interest for me. It's kind of funny you mentioned it is a little cheesy because it kind of is. Mm -hmm. um, like when John Malkovich, excuse me, when John Malkovich's wife gets in the car but gets in the burning car is a very yeah. horrifying thing to see but the mm -hmm. the shot of him looking through the blinds is just kind of funny though and right. i think they're doing a good job of creating mystery i should say mm -hmm. and giving us tidbits of what these monsters do to you if we if they even are monsters they could be something supernatural as well as um, one of the residents in the house alludes to um the wife says mom don't go which makes me think you see delusions or the dead um there's also that um really tense scene on the river where the guy mm -hmm. is telling them to look showing us that he, not all humans want to kill themselves some become these like crazy proselytes who are trying to convert people to to some cause to take over the world somehow and even that right. guy says it shall cleanse the world everyone must look so there's also this kind of bizarre almost religious element to it as well i think they're doing a very good job of creating this really strange mystery to it all yeah i think that's my favorite part about it is when they do introduce and this happens pretty but what about over halfway i, I think i want to say it's almost halfway um when uh, Gary comes in the picture. That's when we're introduced oh, to these yeah. people um, who like really introduced who these, there are these people who are like almost like religious, like you said, religiously following these, this mysterious force or whatever. Right. I guess the man of the river could probably be construed as also being in that same camp. Um, mm -hmm. But it is when Gary comes in the picture, when um, that starts to become a part that begins to affect the plot. Right. So I, I think that's my favorite aspect of, um, I guess this world that they're building is that there are, there's like these, religious people who might or might not be i mean they kind of mentioned that at one point that they're like they're they're from the uh the mental ward right so maybe it's maybe it's those who have some kind of you know mental condition i don't know um but there, it is interesting that they're going down this route of while normal people or a lot of people um what they see it and they want to then become suicidal the opposite is true where there are people who who look upon it and almost like embrace it then they are the ones who become more or less like prophets, prophets of this thing. So that is an interesting idea. I wish they would have gone a little bit farther with it, but it is an interesting idea nonetheless. It's probably one of my favorite aspects of this movie is, you know, how it affects certain characters. There's definitely more they could have explored there and I wish they would. Maybe they will in a sequel. I know this is based on a book and there mm -hmm. are, is another book planned or it's coming out soon if it's not out already. Um, I also want to give props to tr uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who did the score. 
and who just so happened to be up for Oscars at the mm -hmm. time of our recording this. So um, sometimes the score isn't great, but there are times where I think, and I've mentioned this with A Quiet Place, I think they're tapping into some Silent Hill vibes. So I'm really giving the credit to Silent Hill and the composer of those scores, not the movies. I'm talking about the original video games. Well, uh, even the movie too, it just steals off of the video games. So I guess you can consider oh. them the same. Okay. It's well, the first one does. I guess it works then that way. But yeah, I think there's some very creepy vibes with the score at times. I, Alan, did the score make an impact on you at all? Not really. Um, I've heard very good things out of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I didn't pay too much to pay too much mind to the score here, but from what I remember, it it was pretty good. So yeah, there. I'm. I like these composers. I think the music is fine for the most part. So they're people to watch definitely. Uh, I got to know what did you think of the cinematography in this movie? I found it to be mostly subpar. Um, I okay. <laughs> never found there to be much of anything that had me sit up and go, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I think it shot better than what most movies are, but outside of that, I never really found the cinematography to be anything super crazy. Gotcha. Well, I thought some scenes looked very good. I think all of mm -hmm. the stuff with the house in the past just looks generic, but I yeah. think they did some solid things as far as lighting and atmosphere goes, it just, everything looks very cold. Everything looks just kind of damp and dark, uh, particularly on the river scenes or when they get lost in the woods at the end. So those were some of my favorite looking scenes. I thought they looked very good, but I will say kind of as with everything in this movie, it is kind of hit and miss where I don't think the quality or the storytelling just carries all the way throughout. It's a little bit of a bumpy roller coaster for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that when they're outside, it definitely looks much better. When they're inside, it feels almost like it's, yeah, like you said, just very generic. Um, so when they do get outside, especially because they're outside for when they're, I guess, in, the, I guess, present time or future time or whatever, um, that's when it definitely looks the best. Inside the house, not necessarily. Inside the house, like you said, very generic. Yeah, and you know, there is some compelling emotion, I will say, between the kids and Mallory, particularly on the boat. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she yells at the little girl how she can't trust her. And we're wondering who these kids are to her and why she is so harsh on them and why she seems to be playing favorites at times. And you right. come to find out that's essentially the whole purpose for the backstory is to inform you where they got to here in the present, where all of these emotions are coming from for her. I just right. wish there was more of it. Um, the boat stuff I find to be some of my favorite stuff and it's just really few and far between. You know, I like to see the emotional drama. I just wish they could have, you know, I wish they could have delivered the emotional drama between her and that little girl in a bit of a better way. Mm -hmm. I'm just wanting more is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I feel like in for most of the middle, I felt like when we flash back or I guess flash forward to the the boat scenes, there isn't much to them. Um, and usually what happens with when you cut a movie like this, um, usually it's showing that whatever is happening in the past is also, you know, 
replaying in a certain way or affecting the future, right? That's how that's how this movie is cut is we'll go back and forth between future and past scenes, right? But I never really feel like a lot of it really either was a parallel to those future scenes or really affected those future scenes at all. There are a number of things that do, of course, like, you know, not only does Mallory give birth, but also Olympia gives birth and she ends up with both the kids. Um, but in terms of bigger things, that's there is isn't much. And it kind of makes those uh it, it kind of makes those future scenes I it's a, a good number of them kind of feel like, you know, why are we cutting back? Because they don't present us with any more information um, and a few of them. So I think that the future scenes are pretty bare bones until it finally they reach the rapids part. Then I think it starts to pick up a bit more. Um, and I think it's after, that might be after the the past timeline and the future timeline meet. Um, so I think that there's, um, for me at least, I felt like there is more to be, there could, should have been more in these Future, future scenes for the first half of the film than, there actually, than what actually was there. Yeah, I mean, you brought up when both women give birth. I found that scene to be hilarious. Oh, because yeah. Because they're yeah. both just screaming their heads off. They're writhing all <laughs> over the bed. It's a mm -hmm. really dramatic scene. And I got to say, this movie likes to employ a lot of cliches or tropes, as I was saying. And of yep. course, both women give birth at the exact same time. And there's just so happens to be two pregnant ladies in this house as well. Um, that scene was funny for me. Um, there is, yep. I don't know if this movie was intending to be funny, but I did find some funny stuff in it. Um, like the Pop-Tart scene got a laugh out of me when Mallory and Tom give the children these straw, these like really old probably super stale pop tarts um because it's been five years at this point those pop tarts mm -hmm. are five years old and they give them these really stale pop tarts and mallory is, is like this is what strawberry tastes like i'm like oh yeah no <laughs> not really but okay <laughs> just, it, just yeah, cracking me up with some of the stuff yeah, it's his like strawberry. If you really think about it, I guess <laughs> it, once you pass the cardboard <laughs> taste on it. You know, I gotta say, Corbin. Um, when they get to the house, and it's when everyone's—they all like—it's when the group of people end up at the house, and they're all kind of cocking back and forth and trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't know about you, but I was getting some very heavy um, vibes from the happening during this scene. Mm -hmm. especially with the context of uh the apocalypse scene that happened just before this where you don't see the thing that's you know causing these people to become suicidal which is a big thing of the happening um <laughs> it just it feels like it's just it just happens and they even bring up at one point when they're in the house like they ask is it the wind is it the wind that's causing people to be suicidal like that's very like that's of course very much the happening so when they got into the house i was like oh this is not good why am I, why am I, why do I have feelings of the happening right now? This is very not good for the film. And we're not no more than a third of the way through. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you're ready to tear into this movie is, is what it sounds like. I mean, just about, just about. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is I think this movie, it doesn't have much of a theme to it or themes in it, but it's um, mm -hmm. slightly has a bit a theme of overcoming the fear of motherhood. I think that one's probably pretty on the nose. But did you notice any themes before before I dunk on it with you? <laughs> um, 
They, so they bring up this bird a lot, right? The there's there's always this visual of of a bird, right? Mm-hmm. Now that I find to be kind of interesting, where it's where it's very much because you know at the same time while um, Mallory is kind of not really wanting to give birth to the kid, right? It's almost like she doesn't really care for it. Um, right. It's almost like she's looking upon these birds for some kind of freedom. And for the most part, there are birds in the house and they're always in a cage. Um, and then when we finally get to, when they finally met, reach the ending, then you see the birds again and they're like pretty much free and they're able to fly around and within the community. So I found that to be kind of interesting too, is that that visual of the bird. Um, that's also one, like it kind of feels like it's a bit more in the fa- in your face about it. But that was one that I also noticed as like some kind of freedom um, when it comes to our main character as well. Yeah, I think you're right with that. I think this movie has a very watery attempt at trying to create like a theme or, you know, an analogy visual connection with oh. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the movie's called Bird Box. I was hoping for a little bit more. If you're going to name your movie that as just putting birds in a box that can tweet. And yeah, there's three birds in a box and there's three main characters you could call it in this movie with the Mallory and the two children. And yeah, it's disappointing. I would say that they, they can't figure out what else to do with it except make it this very basic analogy. But back to what you were saying about the people in the house. Oh boy. You're right. Um, So once this movie jumps back five years later, I'm immediately worried. I'm like, Oh Mm -hmm. no. Don't do this flashback style of storytelling. It works sometimes, and sometimes it really doesn't work at all. Um, I we we've we've reviewed movies like this before. It does this yeah. with the prestige, which flashes all around time, and Nolan plays with time so much in his movies. He can make it work. I don't think it really works in this movie. And like I said, once um That lady yells at Mallory to get in the house. And once she gets in the house, I am so, I don't even know how to describe it. I can tell this movie is going to come to a dead halt and it is going to really mess itself up in my eyes with pacing, with drama, with intrigue. I don't like these type of stories where people are trapped together in a house. It normally doesn't work and I'm, I'm all, I'm not happy with it yeah yeah that's i'm and i'm with you I, that's why i mentioned that when we get to this scene when they're all in the house i got some really bad uh, the happening vibe <laughs> which is not good to have um so you're right you know then like the there's a movie called like 12 angry men that did the same thing where you know you have a bunch of kid a bunch of guys stuck in a room for the whole movie but the reason why it is that way is um because they do a really good job at building character and while there are characters here they're not anything that's super fleshed out. They're they're very cardboard. They're very two dimensional characters, with the exception of maybe our main, with with the exception of maybe our main lead, right? Which is fine because they're they're meant for like they're more they're gonna die anyways. And I feel like I I knew that once she opened the door that you know whoever else is in this house is probably gonna end up dead um, by the end of the film. Um, so that's no surprise. But it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, why do we do this, though? Like, every movie does, every post-apocalyptic movie does this. The Happening does this. 
you know, why do we have to go down this same route um, that every other, it feels like every other post-apocalyptic movie goes down, which is people in the house and they're all arguing with each other um, and et cetera, et cetera. You're right. This is a extremely cliche storytelling method, particularly in horror movies. My mind, you're right. It is that way with a happening, um, especially because there is a man and a woman and two children, I believe, that they have to kind of persevere and get through. My mind went to Night of the Living Dead, where yeah. this was kind of mostly popularized as far as I can tell. And then a lot of um, horror movies put it forth from there. Where you take a group of people, you trap them in one location. There's a lot of character dynamics. There's a lot of tension that they have to play off of. But it becomes mostly a story about their dramatic survival against the harsh outside world as opposed to... And it becomes like a little microcosm for the world. It gets really cliche. It gets really highfalutin. I don't like it most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think it definitely works in Night of the Living Dead. I don't yeah. think it works in this movie. And so um, I was really hoping um, this would be like an on the run type of movie where we see um, her just running because there is just this like frenetic chaos. And then all of a sudden she is safe in this home that she just lands in front of. There's no mm -hmm. divine providence played really throughout this movie. It seems like maybe there's a hint of it at the end, but yeah, you can just tell this movie's going to come to a halt, and um, I'm just not happy about it. Um, the one thing I will say that this movie is trying to do, but they're kind of uh, failing at, is create some chemistry between Tom and Mallory. I, oh, yeah. I yeah. think there's something there, but it just doesn't really go anywhere, and I think they could have definitely developed it more. Um, it's a little hard to believe though, because in real life, she's 26 years older than him. So in mm -hmm. real life, it would be, um, physically impossible for her to be pregnant. Um, it, he's 28 years old. She's 54. So having right. a 54 year old play a pregnant woman, she's supposed to be probably around like 35 or 36 or something. I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. They do try to force something on with Tom and Mallory, but you're right. It, it, like, it's so, there's a little bit there, mostly because Tom, um, but in terms of development or, or chemistry, there is not a whole lot. Um, and it's like, you know, if they had built these characters in a way where it was maybe like the Night of the Living Dead, where, you know, they were at least somewhat strong characters that, you know, have, you know, have their own quirks and everything about them. Um, then maybe it would be a different story with Tom and Mallory where they get into a, a relationship um, and they build off each other that way. Uh, as, instead, it's more of Tom keeps pursuing her and he keeps pursuing her until everyone's dead in the house. Uh, and then we skip forward five years. Um, so we kind of skip all of that. So you're right. I mean, and, and not just for Tom, but it's, it just kind of feels like that's the case for all of these characters where they're, since they're all so two-dimensional two and cliche, um, none of them ever stick out, right? So, except with the exception of Mallory, only because she's our main character. So, that's another thing too is I, I never found any of these characters to be particularly strong, um, with maybe the exception of Mallory, and again, only because she's our main lead. Also, before that, just another reference to let you 
listeners know this has been going on for a long time. The House on Haunted Hill, which is a Vincent Price movie, that came out in the late 50s. That came out almost 10 years before Night of the Living Dead. So trapping people in a house for a specific reason, usually a horrific reason, it's been done a lot. And I, I was just shocked, honestly, they were going to go there with this movie. But the other characters, we've got Machine Gun Kelly, Old Lady, Malkovich, B.D. Wong, Alita Battle Angel. It's like, <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. yeah. And we have the one guy that works at like a Kmart type thing. He's kind of funny. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, though, because, oh, Charlie is his name. He gives his life yeah. for them. He's so scared. He gives his life for them. And they all just kind of like wander off, wander off back to the car. And Malkovich says something like rude. And then um, Mallory kind of snaps at him. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, if they're trying to create any kind of emotion in this movie, they're really failing at that as well. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. That scene with with Charlie in the, uh, in the grocery store was weird. Um <laughs> Another thing, too, leading up to that scene, uh, they have a whole discussion on who's going to go to the grocery store and who's not going to go to the grocery store and how they're going to get there, <laughs> right? Um, and five of them go for some reason. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's like over a third of the group, right? Which, yeah. the getting groceries, you don't need five people. That aside, um, you're right. With, with Charlie, um, it, they build him up as a scaredy cat. Um, from the moment that we meet him until the moment that he dies, right? But because we spend so little time with him, his, um, I guess, sacrifice uh, doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, it, it it feels like it's... it's Actually, I, I don't even know why it's there. It doesn't... It feels like it has little purpose um, for Charlie to give his life for the, for, um, the other people who are also in the grocery store. Um, I didn't really see much of a reason for it. No, and I, I really also have to call out the dialogue in this movie. I find to be pretty poor. Um, even some of the even some of the intentional attempts at humor are really poor as well. Um, we're making the end of the world great again. Clearly, a uh, dig at uh, President Trump's slogan. I thought right. that was really lame. I just don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish here with some of this dialogue and humor. Um, it's just not good. Um, and I got to say the acting all around as well is just okay. It's just really okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It really, this feels for the most part, very mediocre and a film just all the way around. Because I'm with you. The the acting here is, I feel like it's either very okay or very, very cheesy. Um, mm -hmm. Mostly when it comes to the house. Um, everything, nothing really ever sticks out to me. Um, mm -mm. It feels like this This is very much a been there, done that already kind of film. Um, yeah. not, no more than a few months before this. Uh, I mean, we had, um, well, I guess in the same year, we had A Quiet Place, right? Uh, which is very similar to this kind of a thing. And we've already been talking about mo other movies like Not the Living Dead um, that do this similar thing, um, but way, way better. So it, this movie al al already kind of feels like, you know, I've been there, done that kind of a thing. And what they do do, it feels extremely mediocre to me. Um, and that kind of really brings the film down. Now, again, I am 
the the scenes when the future scenes I feel like are more of a breath of fresh air uh, that are intercut with these past scenes. Um, unfortunately, there's not much in the future that they need to cut back to. So there are times when we do, like I mentioned earlier, where it has no reason. So it's un- very unfortunate that the things I like most about this movie um, really don't play much of a part in the film until late in the movie. Yeah, and I think that's the shocking part is it's kind of a bait and switch to mm-hmm. get you into this movie with the future scenes and then to jump back and realize the crux of the story is all going to be within these past scenes, which really aren't that good until that creepy British guy does come in and just utterly ruins everything for everyone. But when you do jump back to the future, you realize there's really just not much for them to do there. And even the mystery of why they're going downriver is kept a secret until towards the almost the very end of the movie when Mm -hmm. they are escaping. And that's also problematic, I think, with some of these movies is you realize all of these people are either going to run away or die. Clearly, something is going to happen to them because they're not in the future. With all of these characters, I'm really not on the edge of my seat wondering, oh, no, what happens to them? Clearly, they're gone because they're not with her in the future. They've already let the cat out of the bag. So this movie either needs to be linear or not, because I really don't like this cutting back and forth. Um, Also, I just think Tom's sacrifice is okay. I feel like it's kind of cliche, and I, I don't know how much of this movie was influenced by A Quiet Place, but all I can say is that there is like a ridiculous number of similarities between these two of them. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, It couldn't have been a whole lot, right? Because um, they came out in the same year. So there's always, I mean, there's always that the, there's always a thing of, you know, it could just be a coincidence, which is, which could, which seems, seems to be the case. But despite the fact that, you know, they are still very similar, um, in a lot of ways, um, but you're right. Um, Tom's sacrifice, that was one where I saw it coming from a mile away. Um, <laughs> but also one where it's just like, you know, when it did happen, it's like, oh, well, that's the way he's going to go out. Oh, I get, okay, I guess. Um, because he's not with Mallory and the kids, right? And when he started flirting with Mallory, um, I kind of got this vibe that they're probably going to end up together at some point. Um, and uh, my guess is that he was probably going to end up dying to something, um, which ended up being saving his family. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, I saw it coming from a mile away, but it, yeah, you're right. I think it is unfortunate that, you know, he had to go out this same this way. So. Yeah, I... I'm just shocked at how similar it is, though, because both of the father or father figures die in the end, sacrificing themselves to save the family. Both of the wife characters are pregnant. They both have a boy and a girl. One of them you can't speak. The other one you can't look. It's just like, okay, this is really, really similar for some reason. I don't know what's going on, but- right. That being said, I also find a lot of this stuff in the future to be just unrealistic. I know I'm not supposed to like think about this stuff. At least the movie doesn't want me to. But Mm -hmm. spending like 48 hours on the river, we do see them like kind of stand or kind of walk. But a majority of that would be sitting, which would cause your legs to severely go numb 
and probably give you some kind of blood clots as well. And there's no way that you could keep little kids quiet or still for that long. That's why they don't show much of it because it's an unrealistic premise, I think. Yeah, I you're probably right. Um, you're, I mean, maybe the, maybe the kids grew up learning that they really can't make much noise, but I, gu- I guess it's not a quiet place, so never mind. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, you're right. Uh, she told while them to be quiet, I would though. like, what's that? She told them to be quiet. That's also true. I guess you're right. You, I <laughs> did forget about that. Um, like I mentioned, like we've been talking about, like there's not a whole lot that they show with, with these future scenes. So I, I wonder... You know, if they would have focused it solely around them on the boat for the movie, you know, they would clearly have to do a lot more than what they show and show here. Um, because, yeah, you're right. Keeping kids still, keeping them quiet, it's one thing. Um, but they are also there for 48 hours. So there has to be something more to what happens um, on a boat for 48 hours. They, they aren't showing if they were going to go down that route of, you know, cutting out the... Um, cutting out the the past stuff and keeping it only in the future. It'd be interesting, and I think that that would also honestly make it a bit more unique to have it only on like a small boat in the river. Um, I'd like to see what they could do with that. But I look, as it currently stands, not a whole lot to work with. They can do it, and that's going to be one of my recommendations here at the end of the podcast. I'm going to save that. They can do it, though. I've seen it done before. I'm curious. But... This movie also is just, I, I personally think it's too long. Um, A Quiet Place yeah. was an engaging 90 minutes. This movie is over two hours long. Doesn't need to be that long. I think it gets really cheesy and pretentious at the end where she is like, boy, girl, don't listen to the voices. And it's just like ridiculous because they're just running around on blindfolds with giant fans shooting air at the leaves in the woods. I mean, honestly, I go, I think back to um, Robert Downey Jr.'s line in Tropic Thunder when he says, um, we're out here shooting Planet of the Apes for YouTube. (laughs) And that's all I can think of is at a certain point when you're running around with blindfolds with kids in the woods, it it gets really pretentious and kind of goofy, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. Once when they start like hearing the voices and stuff and she starts yelling, it kind of gets into that camp again. Um, <laughs> I don't think it necessarily like was trying to go down that route of you know having it no campy, um, and that's not the first time this has happened either, right? Uh, where it kind of goes down more of a campy route than a serious route. So yeah, you're right. Um, it gets kind of cheesy again here once they get into the forest and almost do- and then almost um, pull off their blindfolds for the monster that's there. Well, and I mean, come on, let talk talk about manufacturing drama for Pete's sake. We're at the very end of the movie. And of mm-hmm. course, the little kids are going to forget all of their Jedi training that she taught them <laughs> with the s- stupid rocks. And they're yeah. going to be like, oh, I guess it's okay to pull up my blind food. And then Mallory learns to love. I mean, it's just really paint by numbers stuff here at the end that it's just, I'm, I'm ready for the movie to be done. And then, of course, once they do get to their new home for the blind. Oh, my gosh. Who could have saw that coming? Um, Mm -hmm. Rick is the Rick is the leader. Rick is the leader of the walking dead. I mean, how many things are they going to pull off of from here in this movie? Uh Goodness. That's another interesting thing, too, is our main character 
when we find her when, or when we are introduced to her, she's pregnant, right? And you get this really quick, you get this vibe that she could really care less about the baby that she's about to give birth to, um, which is super weird. Um, at least to me, it just feels like, or at least it's played off super weird um, that a woman could really care less about, you know, the baby she's about to give birth to. That's strange, isn't it? Well, it's heavy handed is what it is. You're, that's also true. That's also <laughs> very true. Um, and then they, they try to play it off like um, the main character likes being alone. Um, there's a there's a really weird line where uh, the sister's like, how come I always have to update you about mom and stuff? So we get this idea that the mom, that uh, Mallory is very much a loner. Um, it's just played super weird when they're like, oh yeah, I got a baby and stuff like that. And as if she could care less about it. That I feel like would turn a lot of people off. Um, at least to me, I feel like I would turn a lot of people off. Especially yeah. women who have been through pregnancy, I would think. Possibly. She also drinks whiskey while she's pregnant as well. Which, that's, that's the most... Yes. That was the most um, turn off thing that she did while pregnant is what I thought. But mm -hmm. you're right. There are really trying far too hard with these heavy-handed sequences of I don't care about pregnancy. I definitely don't care about this dumb Olympia lady. I am an independent woman who is emotionally kind of scared, but at the same time, I don't need a man. I don't need anybody as a matter of fact. And she's this loner. She's a painter, which has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. So I don't know why she's yep. painting here at the beginning, but yep. it's so heavy handed to show how she's like, begrudgingly going into motherhood and then at the end she lovingly accepts motherhood by naming her children she names names them tom and olympia and which is kind of annoying because these now these kids really don't have their own identity they never really had much of an identity to begin with purposefully mm -hmm. because of her and now she's just like i'll name you after your mom i'll name you after your dad who just died and the boy acts like he's never even heard the name tom before so right. it's not great uh, yeah especially by the end here i'm just kind of like and we see all the birds flying around which is supposed to have some kind of connection to their birds and whatnot i just at the end i'm i'm not into it as well. yeah yeah uh, i'm i'm checked out by this point too well alan uh, I don't think this one's going to be much of a surprise. <laughs> what is your rating and recommendation for Bird Box? So I, I, I think um, you kind of hit it right on the head of just a little bit ago. Um, I think Bird Box just tries too hard, right? I feel like it tries too hard to be scary, to be thoughtful. Um, and at times it, it feels like it almost gets there too. But when it's all said and done, it... it it feels pretty lackluster. Um, Bird Box, all the way around, is a rather mediocre film. It's got some nice elements to it. Um, the future scenes are a bit, a bit, a good departure from those past scenes. The past scenes, I feel, really drag this movie down and really to a point where the future scenes, which is supposed to be the most important part of the film, a lot of times don't have much of a point um, when they cut back to it, which gives this film a really strange kind of pace. Um, that's over two hours long. Like that's way too long for a movie like this. Um, so 
at the end of the day, I think Bird Box is at, at best, I think it's fine. Um, but at worst, I, I think it's just ex so extremely mediocre that I'm I'm going to forget about it. So uh, I'm going to give Bird Box a five out of ten, but I don't think it's worth the time. I'm not going to give it a recommend. Despite Netflix's Bird Box eerily sharing similarities with A Quiet Place, or maybe I should say that the other way around, it more so plays off the zombie trope of a raggedy group of survivors banding together that we saw popularized in Night of the Living Dead. There is some mild intrigue about how Sandra Bullock becomes the sole survivor and ends up with two five-year-olds, but most of this sci-fi thriller falls flat. I really don't care about any of these characters, save for the life Tom and Mallory build and hold on to for about five minutes of the runtime. In some ways, I like we never see the creature, yet I feel a little shortchanged. I get they're going for a Lovecraftian mindset. If you see the monster, you'll go mad. Therefore, what you conjure in your imagination will be more terrifying than what we put on screen. That works in his short story at the Mountains of Madness, but here it can only go so far, especially since film is a visual medium and you're expecting us to be engaged for two hours. This really needed to match A Quiet Place's runtime of 90 minutes. I found myself clock watching repeatedly. Don't get me wrong, there is an entertaining, dare I say fearsome idea, as old as the Bible, that if you look, you die. The first 20 minutes is frightening, but once Bullock hits the house, the pacing comes to a screeching halt, and I know the excitement they built up is never coming back. I've seen this before. I actually think oftentimes Bullock running around blindfolded, playing off of two little children in the woods comes off as extremely pretentious. Bird Box comes off as more a sequel to M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening than a worthy competitor to A Quiet Place. It receives five stars out of ten, with a mild not recommend. Yeah, that sounds about right. We're right. And I said it's a sequel to The Happening, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I do kind of want to go back and watch The Happening now that I've seen this. Um, that one was at least <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah we've reviewed it listeners well i'll link to uh i'll link to our review for the happening so you can check it out that's true we have reviewed it that was a very interesting review um <laughs> but i gotta say corbin what would you recommend after watching bird box i actually have a lot of recommendations this time around so the first one i'm going to recommend is what i said this movie could have been when they're on the boat and it's like they just can't come up with ideas this could have been mm -hmm. The River Wild, which is a 1994 Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon thriller. And uh, it's really good, actually. The drama, the cinematography, how they capture a lot of these sequences. Definitely check out The River Wild. It is on HBO Max right now. I'd never even heard of this movie. It's got David Strathairn. It has the little boy from Jurassic Park. It came out the year after Jurassic Park, actually. He was in that. So, River Wild, check it out. I'm also going to be recommending The Night of the Hunter. I think that is a far better movie about two children on the run from something scary than this movie is. Um, I'm also recommending Premonition, which is another Sandra Bullock movie, which I find to be much better than this one. I'm recommending The Crazies, which it, to me is one of the kind of penultimate world gone mad, go on the run type movies. I love these on the run type movies. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Here it is, Alan. Here is my penultimate recommendation. This okay. movie wishes it was Children of Men. Yeah, uh, I, there are definitely some. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think you're right. Now that you're saying it, I'm. I can definitely see it. I can't help but think a pregnant lady in the apocalypse, and it's all going crazy. Children of Men did this so much better in mm -hmm. so many ways. Um, I'm also going to recommend Ten Cloverfield Lane, and my final recommendation is Annihilation. Yeah, you. So you did have a lot of recommendations for this one. Yes. <laughs> you know, I you, once you said Night of the Hunter too. That's also a really good recommendation. Um, I'm going to recommend, and I mentioned this already. I'm going to recommend The Happening, um, <laughs> which is, I guess, is no surprise since I brought up like multiple times in this review. But yeah. I'm also going to recommend the the one. Road. Um, I haven't oh. seen all of it, but I've seen a good majority of it, and I. No, I didn't read the book, but I almost did one time. So that was one that reminded me of this. So there you go. Happening in the road. Uh, yeah, I've been needing to see the road as well. It's from what I remember, it's pretty good. It's been a while since I watched it, though. Vigo Mortensen never lets me down. So I'm mm -hmm. definitely curious to see that one. Um, if you're looking for a, a parent-child dynamic on the run as well, not just the road, but... Road to Perdition. I'll recommend that one as well. That's a Tom Hanks movie. I haven't seen that one either, and I've heard oh. great things about it. It's so uh, idea to watch it. It's one of those um, like early two thousands gems. It is really good. I definitely recommend Road to Perdition. Is this going to be a pick up or pass for you, Corbin? <laughs> it should come as no surprise that if Netflix released this on physical or digital media, I would not pick it up. So I'm definitely passing on this one. All right. Well, I'm with you. I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass as well. I'm actually a bit surprised that you're going to pass on this, um, given that you like this kind of movie. You know, all of those other movies I, re I recommended, I just feel like they pull different elements from this and they do it so much better. Whereas this one mm -hmm. feels kind of like that hodgepodge of all of those. And it just can't get it right in almost any area whatsoever Fair so enough. honestly um i'm glad if i never have to watch this movie again <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all right listeners well the question after the show is if you were in the same situation would you try to make it to a safe community or would you instead just stay in the house mm. that's a good question so corbin thanks for joining me sure thing all right, listeners, well, make sure to stay tuned because next week we'll be returning, or next week we'll be starting up our Denis Villeneuve retrospective. So stay tuned, listeners, and we'll see you next week with August 32nd on Earth. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. 
All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Of similarities. One you had to go pay money at the theater to see. The other one, well, you got to watch in the comfort of your home on Netflix. So I don't know where to even go from there. I don't know. I guess I... <laughs> <laughs> and clearly it wasn't one that I just... It wasn't a must-see movie. I was content with waiting a few months. I would love to give you my thoughts on the trailer if I had remembered to watch it. <laughs> so I guess okay. I'll record that later <laughs> sounds like we're uh switching places from last week yeah i know right <laughs> but they do pique my curiosity once again because um bullock's sister comes over to turn on the news it, i didn't even say alexa alexa just turned on <laughs> it does that all the time yeah i you're probably right um you're i mean maybe the maybe the kids grew up Learning that they really can't make much noise, but I guess it's not a quiet place, so never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you're right. Uh, she told while them to be quiet. I would though. like, what's that? She told them to be quiet. That's also true. I guess you're right. You, I <laughs> did forget about that. Um, what was I going to say? Totally, I totally escaped my mind what I was about to say. Corbin, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. I gotta look up again what's coming up next week. Oh. Totally well, so forgot. listeners, while Alan looks this up, let me just say, so my first rating for Bird Box was 6 out of 10 when I saw it summer 2019. It was actually a mild recommend. I thought, eh, yeah, it's okay enough. But after the second viewing, no, I'm dropping it down to a 5. It did lose a star and it just went into the not recommend category for me. I really don't ever want to watch this movie again. It's kind of like um the Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, I had to watch that mm. twice because we reviewed it and I'm just like never going back for a third time. Oh man, I wish Cloverfield Paradox was even more insane. Um, <laughs> because then I then I might return to it, but it's at that it's at that ledge where it's just not quite over it yet. It's got moments no. where it's like that's absolutely brilliant. Um, when he gets like his arm stuck in the uh, wall or his arm comes alive. He goes, oh, he's trying to say something mm. to us and like it writes it down. <laughs> unfortunately, it's not all like that. Unfortunately. No, no, it's a pretty big hot mess, unfortunately. Yeah.